This is episode 125 with Dr. Ford Dyke. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and your personal performance coach, helping you find your flow. Today, I sit down with Dr. Dyke, a doctor in kinesiology who specializes in the subdiscipline of performance and exercise psychophysiology. He is a subject matter expert in mindfulness-based performance and health optimization. He's really my kind of dude. Ford has created per four humans this evidence-based approach to optimal performance, health, and well-being with human being the center of everything that he does. You'll quickly see Ford is a dope dude in addition to being a wicked smart guy in his work. And this conversation, it could have gone on for hours. It's filled with tons of advice you can use right now to improve your life. So grab your notepad and let's dive into it with Ford. Ford, first and foremost, man, welcome to the Athletic Mindset Podcast. Stoked to jam out here with you. I know we've connected a few times before this. And how are you feeling today, man? You just took a trip. You're feeling reset, ready to rock? Solid, Corey. I appreciate you having me today, man. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man. I think what's really unique and where I want to start with with you is we share a very similar mission of blending this mindfulness in this like abstract world of mindset coaching. I mean, this Mm -hmm. whole podcast is centered around it It can be very hard to put our hands on it and and feel it. And therefore it makes it hard for a lot of people to see the value and understanding like, why should we even care about this stuff? I can't physically feel it. It's not a t-shirt that I can wear. Mm -hmm. Why am I going to, you know, invest time, money and energy into it? How have you, gotten into this field that's a really loaded question but take us back to the yeah. start what what sparked yeah. your interest oh man so a lot of this answer i would say is hindsight you know and you learn as you grow is what i say as you go but i think it really did start where i grew up being on the sand being on the southeast coast of florida mindfulness is a part of that lifestyle you know and at the time i didn't have the nomenclature and the vernacular for what it is and all this science that's driving it now is just a way of life. You know, it was being in the present moment and being grateful for those environments and those spaces that allow you the opportunity to explore your mind and not feel like there's certain things telling you what to do. You can kind of be free and be open to those experiences. But it really wasn't until grad school where I discovered the science behind the practice of mindfulness as a whole. And just as a quick, you know, disclaimer for your listeners, mindfulness has been around for a really long time, over 2,500 years, close to 3,000 years. And that's a very, very long time in regards to the field as a whole, but it's just a small blip on the radar in regards to human existence. So it, it goes back to your point, as you said at the preface of the question, you can't put a mindfulness t-shirt on per se and expect to change your life. But I hope that the audience understands this is nothing new, you know, just because here in the Western world, we now have Time Magazine and we have certain apps driving it and it's all over social media and news outlets. And this has been going on for a long, long time. You know, it's funny to that point, right? I feel like to me, what mindfulness really is, is quieting the distractions and just sitting with that voice inside your head and figuring out what the heck it's trying to actually tell you and mm-hmm. becoming the observer of, of life. Isn't it ironic that now we have apps pushing it and it's on social media. It's so much in your face. Like right. to me, that's such a catch 22 of like, we're trying to escape that through mindfulness yet. 
that is in our face, notification, notification on our phone. Mm-hmm. I feel like too, to your point, I didn't even think about it, but yeah, growing up in more of a beach town, it lends itself more to being a little bit, I guess, more distraction free than, you know, my upbringing is just outside of DC. And that's mm-hmm. like very, very go, go, go all the time. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? How have you managed over the years to kind of tap back into that distraction free or limiting the distractions that pop up in your life now? Cool. That's a good question. I, you know, I do miss the beach. I I mean, that's full disclosure. It's something that is in my veins, you know, the salinity of that water and the composition of the sand, the temperature and feel of the sun, the breeze across everything, all of that is, is being in that moment. And I was, there's such a part of my story that has really kept me here. You know, there's things that you don't know about others that really makes them who they are. And the beach itself, the ocean, the environment of that space is mostly the only reason, if not the only reason that I'm still on the, on the planet. And because of that, I always reflect on the value of that in my current life. So it's not as though that's a different life. It's all one life. But they're different chapters. And my mom has always shared with me, son, your life is in decade blocks, you know, and like those first, that first decade, you know, zero to 10, you're not really aware. You're a kid, you know, you're kind of just going along, learning things as you go. And your parents are driving those decisions for you 10 to 20. Okay. You know, half of those 10 to 15, you don't know your left from your right. 15 to 20, eh, you know, more or less. But it isn't until that next decade, that third decade of 20 to 30, where the frontal lobe starts to come more online, you become more aware of your choices and how those lead to certain actions and decisions and implications. And as I move myself into my 30s, into my 40s, that's really where I feel like mindfulness is being applied. And that's probably the reason why I miss my roots so much, why I always try to tap back into that and visit Florida because that's my foundation. Those are my earliest memories of being in that moment and being able to explore freely, you know, without really any rules, obviously within the confines of social norm, but you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of a long answer to that question of how do I still implement that mindfulness focus and that practice? It's no longer, I don't have the proximity of the beach. So I can't just take my shoes off, walk down to the sand take a few deep breaths and I'm locked in. It's now I have to be more intentional about those early morning hours. And I have to be more intentional about what I call segment intentions and purposeful pauses. So before our podcast today, after the podcast, I'll have something else. After that, I'll have something else. There's natural transitions throughout your day to where you can take the time to check in, to see how you're doing physically, to see where your mind is, to see where your emotional space or spiritual space is, and make sure that Those intentions you set in the morning are where you are currently at as you traverse your day. And if you get a little off track, which it's going to happen, you've already set that GPS and it can recorrect and autocorrect and get yourself back into that that singular space. I was about to say, or you can be like me and just like keep ignoring that GPS and keep going that wrong way. And you're like, I I think I know something that my intuition doesn't know. Right, right. (laughs) I love that analogy, man. The intentional pauses, I think, is huge. The purposeful pauses. And I think, too, like understanding 
that you are going to get thrown off track. But, you know, I think a, a sign of a high performer or peak performer, whatever you want to call them, is they don't let events bleed into the next event. There was right. a while where multitasking was all the rage. And I think we finally have proven that, no, I think the telltale sign of someone that can achieve at the level that you and I want to achieve at or, or do achieve at is mm. they're just so locked into the present moment. They're so locked into that ability to be single focused mm-hmm. for whatever amount of time they need to be focused for right. to the point of, I could have a pod, I have a podcast recording right after this. Mm-hmm. But if my thoughts and focus is on, well, what am I going to talk with the next guest? I'm going to totally miss out on the gold that you are already dropping here today. Appreciate so that. Thank you. Appreciate the reminder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, Corey, too, because our environments, you know, are not necessarily set up for our own success from a mindfulness standpoint. Mm. And I'm guilty of this. If you open my Safari browser right now, I have 20 tabs. I have three email accounts. I have my LinkedIn running. I have two podcast accounts open. I have three YouTube channels running. I mean, it's absurd and it's definitely not the practice of mindfulness, but you also within those choices can make further choice and further decision, if that makes sense. So even if you're presented with a ton of stimuli, you have the opportunity to say, okay, I have three email accounts open. Let me hit one for the next five minutes. After those five minutes, let me hit the next for the next five minutes, so on and so forth. So you almost in a way separate your day, separate your your hour in those time components to be as efficient as possible. I'm a huge proponent in developing efficiency. It's not about working hard. It's about working smart in order for your performance to climb to the highest rate. Yeah, I think that's what I learned towards the tail end of my like, quote unquote, official athletic career. You and I are firm believers that I think we're still athletes no matter what. But yeah, towards the end of college, it was like, all right, how can I become as efficient as possible? Because I'm putting in the same amount of hours as the next person and the next person. Where can we pick up, you know, some things? I wish I took mindfulness more seriously in that moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now that yeah. I know what I know. But to your point earlier, it's like, yeah, that 15 to 20 or 15 to 21, 22, like, you don't really know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> no, you definitely don't know. And I, it's interesting around. now, you know, like college wasn't that far away for me, let's say 10, 12, whatever years it was. And I think about the college student now and I interface with my students and I'm going, we were not the same 20 year old, you know, you, the stuff you guys worry about wasn't even a part of my reality. And it's just interesting, the stressors that they encounter versus the non-stressors that, you know, people like us didn't have to encounter because the stuff that they call a stressors is bullshit. You just, you don't even think about it when you're 20 years old. So things are shifting obviously, but you know, the practice of mindfulness, I think could be really advantageous for individuals that have, you know, problems and struggle with maintaining that present moment awareness. Yeah, two questions there is one, what are some of those now common stressors that you're seeing and the students you're working with? And two, how are you kind of using your role being a, a professor, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to steer them into this direction of, hey, like, that's not actually a problem. Yeah, you know, the short of it are things are moving fast, especially from an educational standpoint. And I think a lot of the parental drivers that are behind going to college now 
it's not so much the intention of I'm going to college for this reason. I'm going to study this subject for this reason. And this is why I want to do this for my long game. It's more, well, Dr. D, I was told by my parents that I'm supposed to go to college. And then they told me that I'm supposed to go to grad school. So can we talk about grad school? And I'm going, wait a minute, you got to pump the brakes. You don't understand that undergrad versus grad school versus, you know, I call it the wild, not the real world. It's all the real world. It's, it's the wild, you know, it's, it's very different. And I always, to answer your question, what do I do in my mentorship role? I always request and even highly suggest that they take that gap year. I always say you're never getting that back. You know, when you transition from undergrad to grad school or grad school to your career or from undergrad straight to your career, you never get that transitional space back. It could be five days. It could be five months. It could be a year. Always be intentional about that space between stimuli because you're never getting it back. And I speak from experience. I walked across the stage. I was hooded as a PhD student. I turned into Dr. Dyke. And within 10 days, I was a professor. And that is just, that's a wild transition that took me 16 weeks. It took me an entire semester, if not an entire year, to really dive deep and figure out what the heck just happened for the last decade that I was a part of these educational systems. So being more intentional about those transitions, I think, is key to make the decision that's going to serve you in the long run. Yeah, I think it's introducing that intentional pause to process. Mm-hmm. What the heck just went down is huge. Right. But there's so much external pressures now, whether it be societal, whether it be parental, cultural, that are like, hey, well, it's like it's next play up mentality. It's that mm-hmm. same thing that helped you in sports of like, hey, that play doesn't matter anymore. It's like, what have you done for me lately? This is this is it. But I think we also, for some reason, are missing the fact of like after each major game, like there was that time where you rested, you recovered, you watched film, you got right. feedback. And then based on that feedback, you implemented what's the next strategy. For some reason, we we missed that. Is that kind yeah, of what it's been deleted? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, screw feedback. Next thing, like next yeah, thing, like, don't yeah, celebrate exactly. the win. You know, don't celebrate becoming a you know a PhD student or getting your PhD. Like, hey, yeah. next thing, let's go right into it. Next, how thought, are yep. you making sure you're implementing feedback in your own life mm. with your current role on Team USA mm-hmm. and in kind of the teaching that you're doing? the coaching you're doing. Yeah, that's a can of worms, Corey. Uh, I'll start with... Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So uh, where do I start? I'll start with how I got into the sport of team handball because it is a little bit you know, of a unique and unorthodox situation. Growing up as an extreme sport athlete, being involved with X Games sports, not really caring about the Olympics. I didn't. We didn't watch it as a family. I didn't really think about it. I was full force X Games sports, extreme sport. You realize quickly that in order to be successful in those sports, you have to fail a lot. And when you fail a lot, it hurts. It's an injury. It could be a severe injury. It could be a you know casual cut, broken elbow, whatever it may be. But you start to realize that your body's going to heal. But what about your mind? Is that really going to heal from this trauma? And understanding the mind-body connection, body-mind connection really is what drove me into the field that I'm in now because of those experiences I had at such an early age. 
So here I am chugging along extreme sport athletes, sustaining injury, realizing that this isn't sustainable. My only traditional sport was basketball. I finished playing basketball in high school. I wanted to focus on academics in college, but I always was a firm believer in you should take care of your vessel. It's the only vehicle you really own. You can go buy parts for your scooter, your bike, your car, your boat, whatever. You can't really just go to the store and buy a part and just slap it on your body and say, okay, it's fixed. So all through undergrad, I was still playing sports, you know, not competitively per se, but still involved as an athlete. And it wasn't until my master's program where I was told United States Olympic Committee is coming to Auburn University on a site visit. Oh, this is kind of crazy, you know, and it's the sport of team handball. And I'm thinking team handball, the ball against the wall, like that's kind of boring. That's for old people with goggles and jock straps. Quickly realized that's not what it is. It's more like water polo on land or soccer with your hand. I would encourage your listeners, if they've never seen it before, to check it out on YouTube. It involves every sport that an American athlete, you know, has been a part of running, jumping, catching, cutting, throwing, hitting, like it's all rolled into one. It's a European sport, but you know, our transition from an American athlete into that sport can be pretty seamless. So here I am, I try out in 2013, I make the first group of national pool players. And I was a part of that all the way up until late 19 and decided to retire from indoor early 2020, just before the pandemic, which is kind of wild. There are two disciplines of the sport, though. So team handball is the sport. There's a discipline of indoor and a discipline of beach. All the while I'm training in indoor, of course, based on what I told you about where I'm from, I'm thinking there's a beach version of this. Like, How is that even possible? And we can talk about that for, for days. But I just want to answer your question about, you know, how did I figure out a way to implement these types of skills and these techniques within this sport? And I think what it is, is it comes down to opportunity. When someone presents you with an opportunity, you have a decision to make. You can either say no, you can say yes, you can say maybe I'll give it a try. At the time when I'm in grad school, this is 2012, and I transitioned from psychology to kinesiology. I said yes to everything. And before you press record, what I tell you, I got to learn how to say no. (laughs) So I haven't really learned anything. But especially as an early grad student, I was saying yes to everything because I wanted to expose myself from psych into kinesiology to learn everything I could about the human body from head to toe, inside, outside. So I said yes to this tryout. I was a part of the team. I made several national teams, traveled to 20 something countries all in the span of seven years. That was super fast paced. No, no time for reflection, no time for process, no time for decision make. It was just go, 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 go. And it wasn't until the pandemic where I took my foot off the gas. I took my foot off the gas from being an athlete. And I took my foot off the gas from being a grad student for 10 years. And I'm like, what just happened to reiterate our earlier point? And it wasn't until these last 16, 18 months where I realized I have a whole life ahead of me, right? Knock on wood. I have a whole life ahead of me. I have to make sure that in this next decade that I'm super intentional about the direction that I'm going to go in. Because arguably, I wasn't intentional. Things were happening at such a fast rate, and I was saying yes to everything. And thankfully, I did say yes, because it's exposed me to so many different opportunities. But I don't think I was intentional. And I think you can get yourself in trouble. Thankfully, everything turned out well. But others who are saying yes to things that they're not intentional about and not understanding some of the consequences, you can quickly get yourself into trouble. So these next 10 years, the next 20 years, whatever it may be, 
I want to be hyper aware, hyper vigilant about my decisions, about the people I spend time with, about the podcasts that I'm on, about the projects that I'm invested with, any decisions I'm doing, anything that I'm, you know, I want to be hyper, hyper aware of that. Not to a point where I can't just be a normal human, but to a point where I can drive that next storyline and write those chapters. I think being disciplined with those intentional yeses creates freedom in your life because through, through our discipline, it allows us to then work and be efficient in that area to our point earlier. And then with that now freed up energy and that freed up time that allows Mm. us to explore something else. And I mean, you know, I I both know like novelty is uh, like a a very overlooked flow trigger because novelty is going to give us hyper creativity. It's going to give us, you know, ignite. I like to say it ignites our passion Mm. again to your point of seven years of kind of you're seeing different countries, but you're, overall like in this grind over like a vortex just light speed yeah Yeah. are you now obviously you said the past like 18 months being more intentional what are you doing to like intentionally shake things up or intentionally bring in novelty into your life so that you're not looking up and picking up your head another seven years from now and be like wait a second i just shifted my routines into now this that i've been running Yeah, I think it starts with movement for me. You know, I've been diving so much deeper into, it's kind of ironic, but kinesiology. It wasn't until I finished all of that graduate training to where I really started to study the body. And that's kind of weird to say, you know, because just like handball, where you're in that vortex for seven years, similar with education, at least for me personally, you're in the classroom, you're collecting the data, you're doing outreach initiatives, you're traveling. It's just, there's no time to process that information. You're just filing the information away. You're not taking the time to consolidate it because there is no time. You have 24 hours and there's so many different hats spinning in the air. So now the novelty I find is every day moving my body differently, whatever that may entail. Then getting into creative outlets on LinkedIn live sessions or YouTube sessions or writing out podcast scripts or you know teasing around the idea of, eventually pushing out a book, being a part of articles and special blurbs, anything that's going to trigger my mind to think a little bit differently and feel uncomfortable. I think that's so important is to try to make yourself feel uncomfortable every day. Make yourself feel physically uncomfortable, obviously not like from an injury standpoint, but you know what I mean? Do something that you've never done before. Make your brain stretch a little bit so it's a little uncomfortable. Have a conversation with a stranger that you never thought would happen at a gas station or at you know a movie theater or what have you, just to try to get you out of your comfort zone to where you realize we're all the same. 99.9999% of us are the same and we're in it together. And for us to make an impact and to make some positive change, we got to start recognizing that we're in it together and we all live on one planet. We don't live on separate planets. So getting ourselves unified in that way, I think could really make a better future in the long run. Yeah. I feel like it's all about that conscious connection. Oh yeah. But that can only occur when we drop down the ego for a Mm -hmm. second, Mm -hmm. be open to accepting that, you know, you and I, and you, you and the listenership, like, there's way more in common than there are differences between Absolutely. between us there. I think that's huge, man. I love that piece too of trying something new physically every day. That's speaking mm-hmm. my language. I 
since recently moving out here have you know found myself being invited to a lot of beach volleyball mm. and i'm absolutely terrible at beach volleyball <laughs> and i freaking love it it's like sneaking out you know one to two times a week with my grab my roommates and be like hey like can we just roll play some pepper on the beach and like i need to i need to practice here yeah amazing what something as simple as that can do to just your overall level of excitement of like all right cool like i'm a beginner again Mm -hmm. and this is freaking awesome Mm -hmm. what are some ways that you're in some ways quote unquote starting over and being a beginner in your life now as you're Mm -hmm. figuring out this no more handball what's next yeah i uh (laughs) That's a very interesting question, I think, because, you know, something that you're involved with for so long and you have practice every night for two hours and you've got three sessions of weight training and conditioning during the week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you're up at 6 a.m. and you're going to bed at midnight and you're trying to find a way to, you know, stay recovered and stay strong and battle through acute and chronic injury. And it all just comes at a price. You know, I think there's always a price to that lifestyle. and it did hit me in the beginning of the pandemic. I started to feel my body differently because my training was changed due to retiring from indoor and focusing on beach. And within that transition, I realized, you know, if I want to do what I say I want to do, I got to make sure that when I show up to consult or when I show up as a keynote speaker, when I show up on a, on a call or any type of session within my platform, I have to make sure head to toe, heart, mind, spirit, that I am locked in 110%. I can't have any missing components to that. And it took me a long time. It took me about six months from March all the way through August, September to realize I really need to invest more time, more resources, more energy, more focus into myself and not to be selfish but to focus on number one, because without number one, you know, running at full, full speed and full force, then I can't be a service to the world and I can't be a service to my partner, or even, you know, take care of an animal or take care of some plants in the garden. You know, you just got to be so locked in and make sure that you're not missing on anything. And I feel like in a way I may have missed on some things in grad school or I may have missed on some things in my tenure as an elite athlete. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to miss anything coming up in these next, like my mom says, these next, this next decade. So yeah, I mean, it's all just about being intentional and setting your sights on something and pulling back that arrow and watching it fly. And while it's in the air, if it needs to deviate a little bit, reset your intention, reset your focus. And when you hit your target, be grateful. I mean, one of the biggest ways to stay in the moment is to practice gratitude we're not here very long, Corey. You know that. We're like the wind, man. We blow in, we blow out. So being, you know, focused on those minutes of the day and those days of the week and those weeks of the month and those months of the year and those years of the decade, you know, it really affords a more fruitful and a richer experience of this thing called life. I'm freaking fired up just listening to you. <laughs> I love it. What are the images that came to mind there with I love the imagery of the arrow being drawn back? And I, I like to say, you know, recovery can be a weapon if we learn to use it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that can fall under, I have sayings of, we got to slow down to speed up. You got to fill your cup to pour into others, to your Absolutely. Partner. Yeah. What are some ways that you are getting okay with slowing down? Because I think that is something 
that a lot of athletes especially struggle with because Mm -hmm. we're so conditioned to, well, if I wasn't practicing, if I wasn't doing like, what the heck is this being thing all about? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. It's like, sit and just be (laughs) it sounds really ominous and overwhelming and not comfortable (laughs) yeah probably something that 99 percent of us would benefit from if we did Mm -hmm. more of Mm -hmm. but we're scared to do it because it's like what the heck is that so how do you do it and what are some ways that you've kind of worked with other people to be like hey like let's get a little bit more open about being a little bit more Mm -hmm. versus just in this constant do, do, do mentality. Yeah. It's something that I've learned recently and it was through my partner and she said, you're unapologetically you. And when she first said that, I was like, what does that even mean? And then I started marinating on it and, you know, asking her more questions and sharing it with family just when I was back home in Florida, my sister and my mom's. And, you know, I said, I don't think that's a bad thing. And they're like, no, no, it's definitely not a bad thing being unapologetically you. But I think what it is, Corey, is I am very, very serious about taking care of number one. Mm. And that starts in the morning. Actually, let me back up. That starts by making sure that I'm going to get eight to nine hours of sleep. And when I say that to people, they're like, how do you sleep eight to nine hours every day? Well, I set my day up in order to ensure that I'm going to accrue those hours from a quantity, but also a quality standpoint. And truly, my day starts with my sleep. So today started with my sleep last night. So I made sure that I needed to do what I need to do to wind down, to get myself into a restorative space. And then in the morning, you know, I'm up, I'm out and I'm doing a 30 to 45 minute walk and I'm incorporating some stretching or some Pilates into that and focusing on my hydration and my nutrition in the morning, just really taking my time to bring myself up to the optimal level. And while that may be a little bit strange for people that have to wake up at a certain time and jump on the hamster wheel and then, you know, sit at a desk all day and then come home and they're tired of sitting, they sit at the couch and then, you know, they kind of just go to bed and it goes over and over and over again. I was very aware of not wanting to do that Mm. when I was in undergrad. And when I figured out that you can be paid to disseminate information, in other words, become a professor, I never lost sight of that because I had such amazing professors at University of North Florida in Jacksonville as an undergrad. And I'm thinking to myself, these people get paid to come into this room to share information that they've learned their whole life. And they've had consulting platforms or they've done other performance domains. And they're in here and it looks like they're just throwing water off their hand. And they're having a good time. And they're not stressed. And they've got about three or four classes a semester. And their summers are off. And Christmas and Thanksgiving and, you know, all these Memorial Day and July, all these days that they have in the calendar are off. And I thought to myself, if I want to enjoy this experience, the human experience, I can't get myself on a rat wheel. I just can't. That's just not in my DNA. And that's not for everyone. You know, it takes a lot for the planet to spin. But that's just what it is for me. It's unapologetically me. I'm going to take my time in the morning, no matter what. Obviously, I'll adapt to a situation if there's travel happening or if I'm with a group of people or I'm with a team on, you know, on tour or whatever it may be. But that's how I make sure that I am enjoying the experience, number one, making an impact on someone else's life and remembering those experiences that are driven through emotion. Absolutely 
could not agree more. And I love that, man. That That's how you set it up. I love, too, how you highlighted it. it starts the night before with that quality of sleep. Because when we're in that rested, you know, mental state, we're able to then get into these new problems with a little bit right. more ease. The willpower is fully recharged rather than mm-hmm. coming from a place of, you know, I'm depleted right now. And I love, too, that picture you painted of it's a crescendo build into your day. I think so many of us are worried that we're going to miss out on something. So from the moment we wake up, it honestly starts oftentimes with like the sounds that we're even waking up to. Like what that alarm clock, like that set alarm clock, it's painful, right? Like it just oozes this like, hey, let's react. Like let's put you in this stressed out state and like, let's go. And then- You know, what's been a huge game changer for me, honestly, is going back to the roots of buying like an OG alarm clock (laughs) because I found like even if I changed the sound on my iPhone, I was still like turning off the alarm and somehow was like 10 posts deep into Instagram within the first 30 seconds of my day. Yep, It's just so much of that subconscious habit. So I love that you've kind of counteracted that with Mm. everything here. Yeah, I do take it serious, man. The night before I, I put my device on airplane mode at about 8 p.m. I'm in central time and I won't turn that thing back on until 8 a.m. Those 16 hours, those 12 hours for me, you know, are important because I take those 12 hours of rest and digest and then apply it to the next 16. And, you know, I'm not perfect every day. I mean, there's days where I'm tired. There's days where I feel maxed out. There's I mean, we're human energy. It, it's in flux all the time. But we are electromagnetic and we run off of energy. And I think tapping into that is one of the easiest ways and one of the best ways to really make sure that you're going to reach your optimal performance. I think ultimately that's what mindfulness kind of boils down to, right? It's just this cultivated awareness of like, what is my natural energy levels and how mm-hmm. can I start to set up with systems to become more efficient, to understand like, hey, when I'm feeling like doo-doo, like what can I do to reset and right, right. batteries? And I think what lends itself really well to having you on here is discussing like the periodization of just overall life, much Mm -hmm. like we would in kinesiology in more of the strength and conditioning space, but understanding like, hey, on a day-to-day basis, to your point of 12 uninterrupted hours without the phone, we're getting sleep there. But then also more like in that mesocycle of Mm -hmm. during the week, like what is that reset looking like? And when do we push it? And then the macro of, okay, every few months, like let's set up our structure where we can really go for it and then let that air kind of out of the balloon for a second and just mm-hmm. totally reset. I love that. That's good. Hey, how do you stay true to understanding how you operate best when you're operating within a set structure from obviously an organization like Auburn telling you like, hey, we need you to teach from this state Mm -hmm. to this state and you're running all these other things. How do you kind of say yes to things? How do you say no to things to be protective of that energy? Well, I got to get better at saying no to things. That's the moral of this entire conversation. (laughs) How do I protect it? I make sure that I prepare. I prepare every lecture the way I prepare for every game when I was performing at that level. I prepare for every outreach event like I'm preparing for that game. 
I prepare for every conversation, for every email. You know, I take it, I take my job very seriously and I don't really call it a job. You know, I still say I'm heading over to campus. I'm heading to school because to me, it's not a job. It's not laborious. It's not mundane. It's, it's a space to learn. It's the space to learn and grow and to continue to evolve and innovate and have an impact on somebody that, you know, I'm returning that favor. I'm paying it forward. There's so many professors that I've had along the way that changed my life. I mean, completely changed my life. And I think in order for me to give back, I got to make sure that I tune into that. And I realize that this is not the end game for me to stop the buck here. I got to make sure to pass that on. And I may not affect everybody in the room, but at least if I affect one, then I'm satisfied. I know it's more than one, but I know it's not everyone, but that's okay. It means That means there's a lot more growth to, to be had. Absolutely love that. I think that really embodies this premise or this idea. I know we've talked a lot about identity in a sense of like, who are we beyond our physical self? Mm-hmm. I always am a firm believer of what we do for a living doesn't define us, but it definitely right. should be something that is an expression of who we are. And to your credit, I think you being authentically you, it lends itself to being able to be like, yeah, I'm just going to campus. Like I'm just going to class and I'm going to express myself through this avenue for these hours. And then it's going to be shifted gears to here, whether it's a YouTube channel or a podcast. So Mm I want to just acknowledge you, man, for how you've set that up, whether that was intentional or not. That's what I'm seeing and watching your work. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Corey. I don't, I don't think I was in control of any of that. You know, I think that story was laid out and I just had to show up and I had to be aware and I had to say yes to the right, you know, the right opportunities. And at the time, to echo what we said earlier, I was saying yes to everything. And I'm glad I did because that spectrum was wide. But now as I refine things, I want to make sure that the yes is very deliberate, very intentional, very focused and precise and you know, the best writers in the world are concise and they're precise. And you never forget what they said. The best speakers in the world, concise, precise. The artists, you know, the musicians, concise and precise. And I'm taking cues from those other performance domains. You learn a lot in athletics, but you also miss out on a lot. And I'm trying to, you know, mold myself in a way that you're always a learner. You're always growing. You're always changing and challenging. You know, I interface with elderly individuals and their heads are down and you know, that's that quintessential, they're grumpy. And it's like, I, I can't do that. I, I cannot find myself in that space, you know? So I'm trying to do everything I can to ensure that if I, if, and when I do get to that age, that I'm happy and I'm grateful and I'm thankful to be still on this planet, making an impact. And I think that all starts now. I think it starts yesterday, you know, to be in that, in that moment. Yeah. I think that's something we can all take away, right? Like it's not, a feeling that is mutually exclusive to getting to the destination that we're trying to go to. It's something that we can experience every single step along the way, whether that is something as little as sending a text, you know, hopping on a phone call or Mm -hmm. something that's bigger of accumulation of all of those little things. We can still have gratitude for each little moment along the way. So absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's all part of the process. I feel like we could back and forth here all day, which <laughs> absolutely love, man, but want to be respectful of your time and ask you the fast five. So they're mm. one sentence or one word answers, kind of rapid okay. fire here. Cool. The first one is 
what is your go-to podcast that you're jamming out to yourself? I really appreciate the production side of Dax Shepard's show, Armchair Expert. Not necessarily the content, but I'm looking at it more from, you know, the production, the audio, the visualization, the imagery, that type of, of look. Spoken like a true podcaster. Right <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Number two, I know you're probably reading a zillion books, but what's your favorite or most impactful in the past year? Going with two on this one instead of one. I'm going with, this was all through quarantine. I'm going with Steve Jobs and I'm going with Shoe Dog, Phil Knight's journey through Nike. Great one. Great one. There's a book by Lisa Brennan Jobs, Small Fry, that you might enjoy oh. if you read it's his, I guess, yeah, his daughter. Yeah, it's daughter Lisa. Yeah. Of being, you know, obviously wow. Apple being built. Really interesting read, especially I'll have to check that out. Jobs. Yeah, definitely. Number three, what is a quote that you live by? Oh, man. I would say something my grandfather always used to say. And a quick preface he had 10 children, and my mom is one of them. So that guy to me is a G. You know, and we're talking, I don't even know, my oldest uncle is 80 years old. So do the math on that when he had his first child. He would always say this too shall pass. And that's not necessarily his original quote, but he always lived by that. This too shall pass. And I think there's a lot involved with that comment, with that quote. For one, this too shall pass means no matter how good or how bad that moment is, it's transient. You know, it's going to evolve. It's going to shift. So either be locked in. Or wait for it to pass because it's definitely going to pass. Time moves on. You can't stop it. You can't speed it up. As much as we try to do everything. We try to, man. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> exactly. But I think to your point there, the locking into the present moment is maybe the closest that we are as humans are going to be able to get to like manipulating time to work for us. more. Yeah, so. I think so. Yeah. Number four is what is something that you can't live without? Mm. Does it have to be an innate object or can it be more? It could be whatever you need it to be. <sighs> man, I would say Mother Ocean. I would say the beach, man. I, I don't know where I'd be, seriously, without that space. We'll have to get you out here to the Pacific Coast sometime. Oh, yeah. I'll be out there <laughs> soon, for sure. For sure. Last one is, what's your one-word focus at this point in time? My one-word focus? <sighs> Coffee. Ooh, I like that. One word focus, coffee. I love it, man. But we can open a can of worms on coffee, but we'll save that for next time. It's about to say the part two, the part. Yeah, exactly. That will end up jamming <laughs> one of these things. Man. man, I could talk coffee for hours, brother. I love it. Yeah. Well, Dr. Ford, Dr. Dyke. Man, I appreciate you, man. I want to just take a second to to acknowledge you, the work that you're doing, and more importantly, just who you are in this world, man. You're making a a big difference. So appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on here. Where can those listening in kind of keep up with everything that you're putting out into this world? Thank you, Corey. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. You know, it's always a pleasure to meet like-minded individuals and, you know, connect in that tapestry and seeing how big you can make this this quilt. So, you know, I'll throw it right back at you. The easiest way to see what I've got going on is to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm not really on social media, but I believe in the power of LinkedIn, the power of that professional network. I have a YouTube channel, which is just for Dyke. My platform, performhumans.com. I would definitely encourage people in the high profile, you know, elite level space to check that out. 
You can search my name for Dyke at Auburn University, see what we got going on at Auburn podcast. I've got two out there, self-regulation station and preform prepared to perform. So, man, I don't know. I, I don't know where you go to find me, but I'm out there in the spaces for sure. For someone who's not really on social, you just dropped a whole bunch of different links, man. Uh, I'll link it all below for people to follow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> link provided in the show notes. <laughs> Appreciate you taking the time to listen and share this with a friend today as you strive to be a little bit more human, as Dr. Ford would say. My biggest takeaway is that if we prioritize the five elements of Ford's work, hydration, unplugging, moving, aspiring, and nourishing – we can become better functioning humans. If you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action at a time. Stay human, my friends, and I will see you all on Monday.